The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So a big welcome, really nice to be back. And thanks for Shelley Graff for covering for me last Sunday. I'm sure you really appreciated Shelley, our wonderful associate director and the other staff teacher, Dharma teacher at Common Ground. And um, <clears throat> we've been looking at this really potent list of beautiful qualities of the heart and I put into that same chat message the two books that you could use as references. One is a book that came out quite a while ago by Sylvia Borstein, Pay Attention for Goodness Sake, Practicing the Perfections of the Heart, The Buddhist Path of Kindness. It's a great book. <laughs> and then more recently, another really powerful book on the subject, Paramis, Ways to Cross Life's Floods, by Ajahn Sushito, a British Buddhist monk, one of our elders, along with Sylvia, in our Western early Buddhist tradition, Theravada Buddhism here in the West, or what we sometimes call insight meditation or Vipassana meditation. And of course, Common Ground is part of that movement of these wise teachings of early Buddhism coming here to the West. And these are two wonderful books. And I, I, I'm just personally, I'm really grateful that we're going to be spending these months looking at these 10 beautiful qualities of the heart because it makes me happy when I think about and bring to mind these beautiful qualities of the heart. And I'm guessing it will happen the same way for you. You should just check it out. I mean, I'm not kidding. Even something as simple as writing down the 10 qualities on a piece of paper and sitting down somewhere, like we did at the end of the meditation, and just thinking about each one, and then as you think about it, then visualize how that quality actually is showing up in your life. Now, some of those qualities might be relatively faint. They may be just like the seed of a possibility. Hopefully, some of those qualities you're really going to see have some force. They're part of your personality, your habit energy, right? Because remember, not all our habit energies are bad. Some of them are quite good. And... Um, and just list each one in your mind, take 30 seconds or more to think and visualize and remember how that quality is there. And I'll tell you, if you do that for six months, simply, you know, we're talking about five or ten minutes, bringing to mind these wholesome qualities. And the, the important piece is going from thinking about it to remembering and, in a sense, touching in how that's actually alive in your heart present, available in your heart. That's the key. That's how. That's basically the trick for developing wholesome qualities. You have to know it's wholesome. You have to see it or feel it real time. Then it, gets a, it becomes a stronger habit of the mind. That's how you grow wholesome habits. Now the, the wonderful thing is there's a built-in feedback mechanism which is wholesome qualities by definition feel good. Now that doesn't mean that there isn't pushback. Like if you really want to take something that's not yours, i.e. steal, and then the wholesome quality of sila, you know, we call that 
morality or ethical conduct or the integrity of non-harming, or I like to call it, just because it it sort of operationalizes it, deeply valuing non-harming, right? But it it kicks in, and so we restrain ourselves from taking something that's not ours. So there might be like, oh, but I really wanted that. But as we continue to feel into that restraint of morality, you'll feel really good, like, I'm so glad I didn't take that. I wanted it, I still want it, but I don't have the entanglement in my heart, the remorse in my heart of taking something that wasn't really mine. So that good feeling is so much better than the good feeling of having that thing that isn't mine. And so that's the key. That's how you know you're developing these wholesome qualities is you feel better. <laughs> and it's a, it's a resonant feeling better. You know, we, we have that expression in English, the sleep of the just. In Buddhism, the, the version is the bliss of blamelessness. I like that, the bliss of blamelessness, right? You go to bed at night or you're hanging out and you're not haunted by all your misdeeds. <laughs> I mean, so much of what drives our ceaseless wanting to read a book or watch a movie or talk about things we don't really need to talk about is we don't want to feel being haunted by our misdeeds. So we stay busy. You know, we do this, we do that. Because when we're just sitting around in a beautiful meadow, we remember, oh, I said that to that person, I did that. And it we feel burdened. So we somehow believe we can run away from that impact on our heart, from our misdeeds. There's a great line uh, from the tradition. It's um, a couple places, including the Dhammapada, which is a collection of verses. It goes like this. As a merchant carrying great wealth in a small caravan avoids a dangerous road, So you can remember at the time of the Buddha, you know, as the merchants who trade things go from one town to the next, they've got to go through the countryside and maybe they're bands of thieves, who knows, right? But, you know, don't want to lose my goods. And then the next example, as someone who loves life avoids poison, you know, I was just been out at Prairie Farm, Common Grounds Retreat Property, I left my razor <laughs> at Prairie Farm. We had a work retreat this last week. Really great group of folks helping us out for these last uh, number of days. And then another group's coming out on Tuesday for the next four days until Saturday. Uh, really getting the retreat property ready to reopen soon. Um, but, you know, when you see poison ivy or when you're in tall grass and there are deer ticks and other kinds of ticks, you know, you pay attention because you don't want to get harmed. So this is the examples the Buddha is using. So should you avoid unwholesome deeds. In the same way we avoid deer ticks with Lyme's disease, in the same way we avoid, you know, walking around with a lot of gold in neighborhoods or in places where people might take it from us, in the same way we should be just as thoughtful of avoiding falling into misdeeds, unskillful deeds, because it leaves an impact. And this is the thing we have to 
realize like developing this superpower of restraint because that's really what sila like the integrity of non-harming it means we uncover how we're complicit in causing ourselves and others suffering and we make that resolve to not do that so that we we feel the tendency to act out but we have this power of restraint oh just because i want to take this thing just because i want to avoid taking responsibility over here i'm not going to because i can restrain myself from taking the what looks like the easy way because i really care about impact in my heart what's left over and some of you know that that what's left over the the buddha calls the guardians of the world they're hiri otapa right that sensitivity of our moral heart our heart of integrity it's like a moral sensitivity this is the like in buddhism morality doesn't come from the top down like some parental figure in the sky tells us what's right and wrong no it's we need to develop sensitivity which means that's why we value meditative practices that make our heart that sort of draw out the sensitivity of our heart because without it we're capable of doing stupid stuff where we're causing ourselves and others harm but we're just too overwhelmed or too busy to notice the damage it's doing in the world and the damage the impact on our own heart but if we're sensitive we notice everything like uh, i mentioned sometimes in dharma talks like uh, like i'll just give an example that happened a few minutes ago because it's it can be sort of a um an expression of racism i said uh you know when you have a lot of wealth and you go in the wrong neighborhood and you know i don't know if that happened to you but my mind i i immediately felt some moral sensitivity like or are people going to interpret that as you know there are certain neighborhoods where people are a certain color or people are recent or recent immigrants or you know and they're the bad ones and they're going to take my gold or they're going to take my money away from me right so just that simple example of like oh and i should be sensitive because as a white person i've been conditioned a certain way you know to be afraid in certain ways to be um ignorant in certain ways and i want that moral sensitivity so that i don't uh unconsciously cause harm by you know just uh causing us to separate ourselves or to um imagine that certain people are bad and certain people are good based on superficial classifications where they live what neighborhood they're in for example and you know initially the sensitivity of morality the second parami this integrity of non-harming or valuing non-harming it feels like a burden to be sensitive cuz to be cavalier to be oblivious you know in a way on the surface looks so much easier not to care not to think it matters but it only seems like the easy way because we're we haven't cultivated enough sensitivity to realize like the image from the buddha's little verse there you know we're in danger 
acting unskillfully, acting out, stealing, causing harm, causing harm through our sexuality, you know, all the infinite number of ways we can cause ourselves and others harm, take advantage, oppress other people. We don't realize that we don't get away with it. And it's not like, you know, in Buddhism, there isn't an overlord who's keeping track, a Santa Claus or whatever in the sky, like who's good, who's bad. If we, the sensitivity in our own heart, the question is, are we going to cultivate the awareness of the impact in our own heart? Because we, we tend to think that like people who are bad, <laughs> you know, taking advantage of other people, let's say, and being oblivious to how they're causing harm. We think that they're, oh, they're getting away with it. And in a way, it's like, I need to be the karmic police. And sometimes it's appropriate for the community to sort of hold people responsible for their actions. Absolutely. But when we do our own work, we realize nobody gets away with nothing. Right? So even if somebody like you and me, even if we act out unskillfully and cause harm because we're oblivious, when we later, you know, it could be decades later, we'll feel the impact. Have, have you had that happen? Like, I, this happened to me recently, you know. Um, it's like I had given myself a pass from some of my early relationships in, in high school. You know, and just being a guy, a, you know, somebody in a male body with male conditioning and uh, clumsy around relationships and sex and, you know, throw in some alcohol. It's so easy to be oblivious to the sensitivity of the other person. And so I'm 63, so that we were talking about 17, when I was 17 or so, and uh, some of my first experiences with a partner. And just realizing, like, what a jerk I was. And, uh, and, and just like, you know, because it's so easy for me to just, and it's true, yeah, I was a young guy, <laughs> you know, doing my best. So I get that. That's also true. And it's appropriate for me to feel the impact. Oh, yeah. Because it's that sense of, that moral sensitivity that helps make me more careful now. And I want to be more careful now. I don't want to act out my maleness, you know. I could still do it at 63. My male conditioning or any, you know, my white conditioning or my, you know, somebody with power or somebody with education. And I can act that out in ways that can cause real harm. And I do, of course, right? And it's all that protects me is a sensitivity. It's like, oh, I am in a dangerous position, like we got on the roof at uh, the retreat property uh, yesterday. And it's it's high up there because it's a big building. And, and we put in stone. So if you fall, you hit stone, not grass. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's amazing how careful you get <laughs> when you're in a vulnerable position like that because you know you're in danger. But it's interesting, like in all of our social interactions, how often do we have that bright, like, oh, 
I should be careful because I could say something, I could flirt in a way, I could speak in a way, I could refrain from saying something or refrain from doing something in a way or do something in a way that would have real impact for on that person or, or on my own heart. So, of course, I want to be full of care. I, I used to say I want to be careful, but it, that sounds so parental. So it's just like, how can we, how can we um, hold these parmies not as a should that oppresses? Oh, now I got ten things I got to do. <laughs> you know, who wants to be a Buddhist when you got all these things? You got to be mindful, then I got to be generous, and then I have to have this moral sensitivity. And there's eight more things, you know, and then there's renunciation, I gotta be wise, I gotta be truthful, I gotta be patient, I need to be determined, I gotta be kind and equanimous and energized, I've got energy, right? And it's like, ah. Oh. So all the way through this work, we have to be following the thread of pleasure. It's like these wholesome qualities are self-reinforcing. And then if they're not, then uh, they're not wholesome qualities. Doesn't mean there's not pushback or resistance, but there, we really want to detect because the development of these qualities needs to be a natural process that just happens because we care and we're following that thread. It's a thread of pleasure, an inner pleasure. And, and one of the ways to think about that is learning to distinguish between the kind of superficial pleasure of having a lot, like, you know, when we think about wanting to survive, and and that might include like having lots of friends. So it's not just having a lot of wealth or a lot of health or a lot of whatever, a big car. But that's one kind of way that we feel safe. But when we look at that sort of more ordinary way to feel safe, it actually comes with a shadow because you know when I have a nice car then I'm afraid someone's going to scratch it or you know do something to it so there's a vulnerability that comes with that so the development of these 10 qualities like nobody can take like if I develop a really deep uh, habit wholesome habit of generosity and this a valuing of non-harming, the sensitivity to how I might be complicit in the suffering of others and, and, and myself as well, then nobody can take that away from me. It's not vulnerable to, to loss. And it's like it can be cultivated and depended on in any moment of my life. There's not a moment that can arise where I can't practice the happiness of generosity or the happiness of moral sensitivity, or the happiness of letting go, or the happiness of wisdom, or the happiness of kindness. So this is like, a, it's a much more dependable thread of pleasure. Because it's what we call in Buddhism, it's not circumstantial, it's not conditional. <clears throat> and that's the whole, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> shift in allegiance. from pleasure that's based on conditions, 
like having a fortress house and a big car and big muscles and lots of friends and you know it's like this um pack rat mentality to feel good right which actually makes us vulnerable because as long as i my safety is external then i'm vulnerable because on some level we realize i can't hold on to it i can't protect it so then we're switching from that allegiance to this allegiance of the let's just say inner goodness that doesn't come and go due to conditions and that's the that's what we really want to see with these 10 paramis and they're not really 10 things they're just 10 facets that you could just say the goodness of the heart and remember in buddhism it's mostly what's not there you know when we think okay i need to have this category of generosity and this category of moral sensitivity and truthfulness and and you know resoluteness and equanimity but it's really more about the shedding you know so you can even what if you do that reflection where you write down the list of the 10 paramis and then think about like generosity is the absence of stinginess morality is the absence of thinking our actions don't matter that conflict is okay being in conflict with the present moment being in conflict with others that somehow <clears throat> life is a you know zero sum game like my happiness means somebody isn't happy and if they're happy that means i lose some of my happiness because it might be just the opposite that the more happy real happiness has to involve everybody taking care and caring about everybody that i can't really be happy if i don't care about everybody it doesn't mean we have to save everyone before we're happy it just means we have to include everyone before we're happy everybody's happiness matters it matters when you're not happy it matters when you're being taken advantage of and pretending that i don't know that is a dead weight in my heart it hurts pretending you don't matter hurts pretending or not pretending but knowing that you matter feels good because i'm more in alignment so you can go through the 10 and and really better understand what which uh what each of these 10 qualities are by understanding what goes away when we have kindness fear and aversion goes away when we have equanimity reactivity goes away when we have patience restlessness goes away so it's really like in a more concrete way to understand it as a letting go or letting something drop away um when you you know start to explore sila as one of the 10 parmis this moral sensitivity in the tradition they talk about it as a beautiful scent and in general all of these wholesome qualities of the heart 
are considered beautiful adornments of the heart. You know, it's like, it is our, I mean, in a spiritual sense, it is our real treasure. This is what we count on. The, how the heart has developed wholesome qualities. And I mentioned one of the earlier weeks when we were talking about the paramis, you don't have to develop all 10. Because if you develop one, you're going to end up seeing all the other nine supporting that one. It isn't, they really aren't 10 qualities. So it's really okay to emphasize one, but be curious about how the others are really there. Yeah, and so I was mentioning that in the early tradition, they talk about developing this moral sensitivity as a kind of scent, a smell that goes everywhere. And you can just see this, like when you uh, interact with someone who you sense has a lot of this moral integrity, they really care, they really have valued cultivating this moral sensitivity, how they speak, how they shop, sort of how they earn their living, all those sorts of things uh, have are sort of infused with this moral sensitivity because they care, right? And you can see, now you might not use the word a beautiful scent, but you might just like, there's something unmistakable, some quality that makes that person trustworthy because they've been over a long period of time deeply valuing non-harming in their speech, in their actions, and in their thoughts. And uh, you'll see that like, that it's a real gift, like they're giving you the gift of, hey, honey, you can trust me, because I've been working on this moral sensitivity. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means, like, sometimes it's interesting in our culture, in the West, we have this phrase like, uh, a goody-goody, you know, someone who's, uh, you know, I, I was sort of that way when I was a kid, you know, just like uh, a little uh, holier than thou, you know, seeing the other kids doing things, like not listening to the parents and thinking, well, they're going to get in trouble. And like, and, and there was some truth, like my mind was able to read cause and effect, like you act out like that and either a teacher or a parent's going to get you and it's not going to end well. So the, there's some real wisdom in that, but it doesn't have to be a source of vanity or pride because it can be really more this grounded, like, oh, this is how it works. This is how it works. And when you break the rules in order to get what you want, things catch up with us. Oh, and that it, it really makes sense for us to figure out it's never perfect how to work harmoniously where we're taking everybody into account when we decide who gets to eat or who gets to live here or there, right? We're not leaving anybody out because it's convenient. And so this, uh, yeah, just to sort of feel that, uh, yeah, there's something very earthy about these wholesome qualities because they draw us into the world as opposed to this shadow that exists, not just in Buddhism, but probably every spiritual tradition, 
that's like, get me the hell out of here because it's messy. And I just want to be transcended into one of those beautiful places where everybody's, everybody has bodies of light and, you know, there's beautiful music and you drink the nectar of the gods. And, but, but these 10 qualities, they really draw us into the messiness, the complexity of the world, but they give us guidance. And it, it is counterintuitive because our deep habits is to get it run away from where there's a mess or where there's complexity. And just to be solely concerned with our own well-being, our own health, our own safety, and maybe our immediate circle, whatever that might be. But there's a price to pay for that kind of thinking. And you see how even our, of course, our global environmental crisis is exactly this kind of thinking, as if it doesn't matter how we consume. You know, it's just like it's totally oblivious. And it can feel overwhelming, like, oh, do I buy this because it's wrapped in plastic or do I avoid it? And we think, God, I, I just assume not have to worry about it. But that has an impact in our heart and on our everybody's life. And we end up in a position like we're in now when we choose to be insensitive. So even though initially it may feel overwhelming to be sensitive, we really want to... Um, yeah, there, there's something uh, really uh, enlivening about this work. I'm reading a, a wonderful book somebody, uh, a student of mine, gave t to me a while back, but I'm finally getting to the end of it. It's written by an indigenous woman, Robin Wall Kimmerer. She's a well-known botanist and also a, sort of a keeper of indige indigenous wisdom. She wrote a wonderful book. Uh, braiding sweetgrass which i've mentioned a few times of the last six months and then her earlier book is i forget the title but it has mosses in the title and it's based on her dissertation on mosses and it's a combination of indigenous wisdom with a lot of scientific information about mosses which are amazing plants or they're not really i don't know i think they're not actually in the category of plants uh they're in their own sort of category but she was just doing a riff on some indigenous wisdom, and it sounds a little far-fetched, but it makes a lot of, uh, and I'll end with this point, it makes a lot of sense in Buddhist, uh, early Buddhist teachings. So the basic indigenous wisdom is, like, where there's poison ivy, the remedy will be close at hand. And that somehow, like, again, this sounds a little far-fetched, that the plants know where they need to be so they can be useful, right? Because part of indigenous wisdom is really built on this idea of reciprocity. And this fits in with Dharma because the whole world from a Dharmic perspective is sort of a splitting into opposites and the opposites are dancing around each other. And that's kind of this world, good and bad, dancing around each other. And so this is the world, this is a nice description of morality, like where we learn about the liberation of the heart is right in these moral conflicts. So this is good homework, like we'll dig into this over the next few weeks, um, looking at morality and moral sensitivity. So really uh, resolve now to be curious about any of those tugs in your heart, uh, where you feel a little moral sensitivity around speech, 
around consumption, around sexuality, around power, around dismissing a person or groups of people because you don't get it or it's complex or they irritate you or whatever it might be, you know, where we want to throw, justify throwing somebody out of our heart. And then it's like a little mindfulness bell rings, right? Oh, this, this is interesting. I want to wake up here. There's something to learn here. And that the tug to act out with greed or hatred, you know, even if it's a mild form of that, the, the beautiful quality is close at hand. The medicine is close to where the toxin is, right? And that's the real... Like, I don't have to be a different person who doesn't want to act out my lust or doesn't want to act out my greed or doesn't want to act out my irritation or hate. I can find the resolution, the beautiful quality, right where the temptation is. And that's, that's this, uh, I, I, someone put the word erotic. And I like that word in terms of Dharma. Because there's something like, when we think about erotic tension, there's something in Dharma practice and awakening that is like enlivening in that same way, right? Because there's, uh, there's a mystery close at hand. And it's the mystery of opposites coming together and resolving themselves. And so we need the, you know, the problems, all of them. And escaping the problem isn't the way. That's how we got here, trying to get the hell away from suffering, as opposed to getting curious about it. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.